Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to this special episode where we take a look at some of our best bits, funny moments and top tips from across the series. I'm Orlando Murrin. Over the years, we've all had so much fun making the BBC Good Food podcast with Tom Kerridge. From chatting salmon in the dishwasher to out-of-context love sausages... So on that note, here's a pleasant collection of some of our favourite laughs. I stumbled across a packet of alphabet spaghetti in, <laughs> yeah. in the shop and I bought it. So now when I make a chicken soup, I put alphabet spaghetti into it. Do you make such... loads of rude words? <laughs> I bet you do. I mean, I, 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 I would just be, why has your, your food gone cold? Because I'm trying to think of another four-letter word that can float around in my soup. It's like edible scrabble. <laughs> Yeah. At the beginner level, little cakes are going to be easier, aren't they? Things like fairy cakes and... Fairy do, cakes, do, cupcakes. Do you, do you yeah. remember rock cakes? My grandmother used to make rock cakes. Are they started with dried fruit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're a little yeah. bit burnt fruit on the outside. Mm. They, they were terrible things, actually. Um, <laughs> bit, bit dry. I'm, I'm dry. <laughs> bit joyless. I'm not sure that the word burnt fruit... <laughs> burnt fruit, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's not silly. Rock cakes done well. No, I haven't heard of rock cake for quite a while. I think rock cakes have fallen yeah, well, they? I mean no no they're quite nice if you don't burn them I've got to be honest <laughs> I like they're, 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 they I need mean, to be dipped in helps. something don't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't think it's the rock cake that was the problem there Orlando I think it might have been the methodology or the fact that it was in the oven a bit too long or too hot <laughs> on the question of cooking in odd circumstances I wondered if you'd ever had to cook or tried cooking on unusual pieces of equipment Ooh. like the old salmon in the dishwasher trick have you ever tried that not salmon in the dishwasher no I've heard about that one a few times but it's not one that I've ever I've not one that I've ever I don't quite understand why you, if you've got a dishwasher <laughs> right that could fit a whole salmon in I don't understand why you're not just poaching it on the stove or through the oven why would you put it in the dishwasher <laughs> I mean it just oh I, I, I can understand that because you just turn it on and it comes out cooked only of course it doesn't d d have you tried it <laughs> i've i've tried it i did try it yeah i've tried it. i've also salmon in a dishwasher yeah i tried it doesn't cook oh. and then we tried it at the magazine can we, can we yeah are we having that recipe in the next magazine <laughs> i think the problem dishwasher is dishwasher salmon that dishwashers have different cycles don't they they have the the 
cool cycle to clean the glasses or the hot cycle. And you need to establish quite what temperature your dishwasher is going to run run at and whether it's going to cook the salmon through. Anyway, the salmon did not cook in the dishwasher. I tried it myself and then we tried it officially at the magazine to see if we could do it. I, I can't believe that this is actually a real conversation <laughs> that we're having. That it would you, be great I, if it worked. <laughs> One of the supermarkets did, uh, for Valentine's Day, a love sausage, which was a heart-shaped sausage, which I think you would treat the same way you would put that in a pan. Yeah. And crisp each side. <laughs> yeah. And then put what was it called? Ju- <laughs> it was called the love sausage. And I think it was sold out. It was very, very successful because Valentine couples or one half of the couples were like to love sausage queuing up to get them and they the shelves were bare of love sausages was that this year yes and last year don't pretend you don't know rosie burkett (laughs) (laughs) next up world foods we've been lucky enough to learn about authentic cooking from a variety of different cuisines When Edson Diaz Fuentes and Natalie Fury popped in, they brought with them some rather extraordinary accompaniments to a dish we've all been pronouncing wrong. So here we have um, some guacamole, which I think every Mexican restaurant or every Mexican house or every Mexican region has. But everyone has their own recipe, their own style. This is how we serve it at Santa Is it a secret how you make it? (laughs) Well, Edson's in charge of making the food. I'm the official taster. (laughs) He he makes the food. Could you pronounce that again? (laughs) Guacamole. Okay, see, everybody else, like me, uh, guacamole, (laughs) you don't pronounce the G. No. No. Right. Okay. There we go. Learn something new already. And what's on top of it? We have some, uh, so it's obviously a beautiful green color, and we have some blackish items on top of it. Yeah, actually, those are um, morita chilies, which are chipotle chilies, just so we can try and smell. But how we serve at the restaurant is with grasshoppers. You're you're kidding. No. (laughs) (laughs) So the. is that gra- that's gra- grasshoppers so in that bowl? So we, have a, we have a little bowl. How can we describe these, Tom? Well, you describe them as um, like the future small, of small little dried, um, small little dried grasshoppers. Like they are tiny little. Oh, that's a crunchy. Tiny little dried grasshoppers. I should say to listeners that they're not actually alive. They're not moving. No, I'm or not anything. eating a live one. Except, <laughs> you I mean, would. I had. You would if you had to, though, wouldn't you? Uh, well, I, yeah, if I had to, yeah. However, I have eaten these before, and they are um, the best way of describing them is a bit like a, a seasoning. You use mm-hmm. it. They're, they're a little bit like it's a little bit like a twiglet. it's kind of like that hollow crunch bit smaller um is there a slight spice on them yes yeah yeah, yeah. so you roast them and we have spiced grasshoppers so would you serve those sprinkled on the guacamole guacamole. um the grasshoppers yes not the ants the grasshoppers oh Um, not the ants the ants are saved for a separate purpose yeah the ants yeah the ants are just just for um i occasionally do catering and you know at private events but we don't have it in the restaurant all the time it's difficult to get them even in mexico it's difficult to get the ants. They, are they very come limited. out of the ground the first rainy season 
right. of the year um, in places like the region of Oaxaca or Oaxaca City. So even in Mexico, um, you know, you mentioned, is it normal to eat them? The grasshoppers, you walk down the street and go to markets and you see them pile really high in baskets and they've got different seasonings. Some have more lime and salt, some have more chili. Um, but these chikatana flying ants are really... a Delicacy, they're even delicacy. in Mexico, and, and they're used for special sauces, for celebratory dishes, and it's only the very beginning of the rainy season where they come out of the ground, and it's like there's really beautiful scenes of children running around trying to catch them, and it's really a celebration to eat these, even in Mexico. Because so. we kind of like have a flying ant day in this country, right? Yeah. And it's normally around my birthday at the end of the July or beginning of August <laughs> where flying ants come out and they're around about for a day or two. And this, yeah. no one is celebrating that. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh my God, this is horrible. And they're, like, and they're only around for like a day or two. In our conversation with Ravinder Bogal, I was most interested to learn about how to authentically use spices and explore what the word curry really means. Ravinder, I'd love to have your take on what a curry really is and why we seem to have fallen in love with it in this country. Well, I think the word curry is a really generic term. And uh, historically, I believe it's it's a British word um, that came from a South Indian word, curry. For me, curry sounds like curry, which is um, from my ancestral state of Punjab, North India. It's a sort of um, sauce that's cooked with yogurt or buttermilk and enriched with gram flour. But if you went to India, you wouldn't really find a curry. You just have lots of different regional dishes that would make up what I guess the British think of as a curry. Ravind, what about you? Any favourite spices? Oh, there's so many I love. Um, but I really love um, that kind of uh, aromatic warmth uh, that cinnamon brings, um, star anise and saffron you know, is is expensive, but that I just love that you just need a tiny amount and it can just completely change the complexity of a dish. And do you get them from anywhere in particular, your spices? Do you, do you, do you go and get them or do they come to you? Um, some come to us and there are other things that I'll source especially. Um, when I travel to India, particularly to South India, uh, there's an estate that I know has incredible organic spices. So I try and bring as much back oh, from wonderful. there as I can. And the difference is completely extraordinary. I mean, where you'd use maybe five green cardamoms uh, in, you know, from a normal, you know, shop and you use them from that estate, two is enough. The, the power of the flavour is just incredible. How do you manage your spices? Do you keep them in jars or in the fridge or in the freezer? Or... Uh, we keep them airtight as much as possible. And the I, I would say to anyone who's buying spices is to buy small quantities um, and buy them whole and use your coffee grinder to grind them if you need, if the recipe, you know, calls for them to be ground. I would say on that point, no, get your, get, but then get another coffee grinder because once you started grinding <laughs> spices in your coffee grinder, you, no matter how many times you clean it and scrub it, your coffee yeah. is now always going to taste of star anise and cinnamon. Yeah. In this next clip, not only does Jose Pizarro teach us all things paella, but Tom also tries his luck in guessing a rather surprising list of ingredients. It's only 10 ingredients. The authentic paella from Valencia. Okay. 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 Just uh, 10. Just 10. 
Okay. Can I have a go? Uh, hold on, let me have a go at guessing. Oh. Right, okay. <laughs> so if it's from original, so it's going to be onions and garlic. Oh. <laughs> it's ticking. No. No. No onion, no garlic. Okay, that's not a really good start, is it? <laughs> okay, rice. Yes. <laughs> Saffron. Yes. Stock. No. No stock. No. Oh my god. And then, and then I'm going to throw something bizarre out there, right? Because I've heard a few times, rabbit. Yes. Yeah. See, because everyone was going to go like prawns and whatever. So you could put prawns. However, I, I, if it's, you're talking about an original farmer, surely it's meat. So it's it's things like rabbit or chicken or yes. pork. Chicken. Okay. So that's four. 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 Uh, and now I'm stuck. <laughs> tomatoes. Yes. Okay. Tomatoes, but not like tin tomatoes. You mean like chop, chop fresh? Chop tomatoes. Uh, is it, it a herbs going to be in there as a finishing one? No. I've run out. I've run out of ideas now. Okay, believe it or not, like you say, stock is no stock. One of the ingredients is the water. Okay, and then you have salt as okay. ingredient. Okay, it's not really, but anyway, and then you have uh, olive oil, of course. Yeah, and then three different beans. Is uh, uh, sorry, two different beans. This the green beans and the garrofo. Garrofo is a kind of a broad beans. Yeah, okay. It's white like. and uh, it's flat and it's just absolutely delicious. Okay. That are the ingredients from the authentic paella. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I'm missing one. I think. Yeah. Come on, that's the common mistake in it. Like, we always, like, you pronounce it, like, I would, yeah, it's paella. I grew up going, it's paella, but it's not, is it? It's paella. paella. Well, even myself, now I say paella because it's <laughs> easy. Because otherwise no one understands you. It's like, what, what are they talking about? It's no paella, No one understands me anyway, but <laughs> I will try my best today. Um, very important. Well, if you can cook the paella outside in proper fire, that is the best. Barbecue is uh, still very good because it's important that the fire have to be very even. You know, if you cook at home, I will say always try to move to keep the the the, the heat as able able as possible in everywhere the same. Yeah, it's quite difficult yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult. But the important thing is just heat it up, caramelize, and bring the crispies. So the special, the difference in the rice, mm -hmm. so paella rice, okay, so, uh, uh, the, I mean, there's all sorts of different rice, we all know, the, the, right, so paella rice is Spanish, it's a Spanish yeah. rice, yeah. and how long does that take to cook? Because some risotto rice, they take 15, 20 minutes, some pudding rice, for example, take an hour and a half, like, how long does risotto rice take to absorb all that moisture? Paella rice will see 16 minutes. 16? 16. 16. 16 minutes. 16 minutes. 16. Uh, exactly 16 minutes. <laughs> 16, that's okay, right. Perfect. Between 16 to 18, I will say, and then just the, uh, another five minutes to rest. You keep the cloth on top, king cloth, king cloth. Normally what they did is uh, they put the newspapers on top, and that will help to keep the moist on the paella. Okay, so once it's cooked, you then put the newspaper on the top. On the top. And then you minutes. leave it to kind of just... Rest. Rest, steam, relax, exactly. finish its cooking. And then, very important, put the paella pan in the middle and you eat from there. And even so many people don't eat even the meat because the meat is totally overcooked. You know, <laughs> the rice and the soccer rat is what you are looking for. 
That's that, the best bit. That is the best bit. Melissa Thompson, author of the book Motherland, schooled us on the history of jerk and Jamaican food culture. To jerk something is to stab holes into it so you can kind of push the, the, the flavourings in there. And does that tenderise it as well? Well, I, I guess so, because so, you're kind of, yeah, you're kind of increasing that surface area, aren't you? But yeah. I think it was more about kind of getting the flavour in and, 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 and preserving the meat. Um, so the use of spices was actually to kind of help preserve it. And then it would be like, it would be cooked over pimento wood, allspice, kind of better known in the UK, and pepper elder, which is um, like a, this really beautiful, like fragrant leaf, it would be wrapped in there. And then these... Um, these sort of small chilies. So jerk is found on other islands, and especially kind of um, like back in the day, there there are references to to jerk being sold by um, e- even like white French guys. There's one reference to these white French guys who maybe came over as indentured work as servants um, who were selling who were selling jerk. But but each island has got its own kind of like culinary identity because obviously each island has its own its own st- story. And I think for me, Jamaican food, um, you know, from the the trees that grow there, the the, the fruits and the and the vegetables and the like the different spices and the herbs it just tells that story of everything that's happened to jamaica finishing up this week's compilation tom and tony get hands-on in a mocktail masterclass from our very own miriam nice i was sorry to miss this one as i love a good tipple but i was joining in at home Right then, so uh, to up our collective skills in this area, which I think Tom is going to have a significant advantage over me uh, <laughs> as a Michelin star chef, uh, Miriam is going to show us how to use a cocktail shaker properly. Oh, yeah. so, there's one each, so you can choose. There's well, two uh, shakers. Take, take, choose your weapon. Which one would you like, my friend? <laughs> I'll let you have the larger one as the more experienced right. food professional. Okay, then. I'm going to say the more experienced, you. any experience. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you going to show us how to do here, Miriam? So you're going to be making the whiskey sour mocktail, which is one of my recipes on bbcgoodfood.com. Right, it's not sorry, a good start. Just, just, just drop the lid. Tom's Tom Curry's just it. dropped the lid. <laughs> it's not a great start, is it? There's one of the stars gone <laughs> when they hear about this. <laughs> okay, so what I've made here... I'm sorry, it's a slightly suspicious-looking bottle, but I've made some Assam infusion. Yeah, um, the, the bottles that we have here look like a mixture of kind of samples you'd be taking to your GP or things that you wouldn't be allowed to take on a plane <laughs> maybe things you find in a mechanic's garage and being very eco and reusing bottles yeah. I think you should be very well pleased well um, so I made an infusion with um, Assam tea because I'm trying to mimic the flavours in bourbon whiskey so I made a very quick very light infusion of the tea and added a little bit of vanilla extract so if you divide that between your there's enough for two basically so if you divide that between right. your shakers I'll let Tom do that okay so what's the next one Oh, hang on, hang on, that's too much. <laughs> Sorry, it's like rubbish looking at my own recipe. You need 50 ml. Um, 50 so ml? Yeah, 50 ml in each, in each one. So you don't be scared about attempting it's these fine. things at home. Even the professionals <laughs> can make mistakes. I'm like constantly checking my own recipe. What did I say here? <laughs> yeah, 50 ml of so that. So the, uh, the Assam infusion is going in. Yeah. And then the next bottle is... And then there's some lemon juice. So you each want 25 mils of that. I'll let you do that. Uh, there we go. Yeah, it's the other side. It's upside down, 25 mils. That's, that sounds like quite a lot of lemon juice. That's quite... 25 mils is quite punchy. It's, that, it's 25 yeah. that small yeah. section, yeah. yeah, before we go completely crazy. So what's the next one and after the lemon juice? you each want three quarters of a tablespoon of sugar syrup. And there's some measuring spoons. Does this require a level of accuracy? 
in the ingredients. I know that sounds like an obvious point, but obviously some recipes allow you a certain license, others don't. I mean, how have you... Are these to your personal taste or are these Three kind of Three quarters of a teaspoon. There, so, I mean, a lot of cocktails will say, you know, this is how you make the traditional one. So I've tried to make it as near to that as possible. I wasn't listening. Yeah, three quarters of a tablespoon. Three quarters of you a tablespoon. Put, yeah. Tom is looking at a selection of uh, spoons there as if he's never seen Some one before. Well, well, I was trying to work out. I was trying to remember like I was at school. I was just figuring you'd never use something like this anymore because, you know, a man of your skills would just... No, I'd just throw it ...do it, it by eye. <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of my time talking to chefs who just tell me, oh, you just chuck a bit in. Yeah, I've really pressed them for the detail and they're really reluctant to give it. And there's some egg white, so um, you can pop in about, just divvy that up between the two. So there's a whole egg white, but you only need half per okay. cocktail. So you yeah. might, if you want to hold a bit back, that might help a bit. Um, uh, <laughs> you're going to ask what the egg white's for, aren't you? This is a new, well, this is a new experience for me. I've never drunk a cocktail with egg white in it never, before. Never, ever. I, no. think, I don't know. I reckon you might have without knowing. No, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not a cocktail person, really. Oh, really? So strictly beer and wine. Uh, so... Tell us what the egg white is for then, Miriam. So Tom preempting the question there. <laughs> it really helps with the kind of mouthfeel, so it makes it kind of nice and smooth, and you can, right. it gives it a little bit of frothiness, which looks really nice. So if you stick a handful of ice in each of those shakers, please. Now, are your cubes important? <laughs> ice generally is important, and it should, you know... I think putting a good handful in or like with the um, driver's sunrise, I put quite a lot in the glass. It's the main ingredient, really. Um, but I use a silicon ice cube mould. But you, uh, the normal mould that you get in the fridge is still pretty good. But I think having lots of ice is very important. So, so I speak to Fro. Actually, I've, spoke, I've had a conversation with Fro, our barman, about this, about his cubes. And he's, uh, he's pointed out that the better the cube... The more, the sharper the edge, the better the ice, which is why you always want fresh ice because sometimes cocktails that are made at the end of the night where the barman hasn't been bothered to go restock the ice machine in their, or in their ice well, they're better because the sharper the cube, the, the more it cuts through, particularly when you're using egg white, it helps to sharpen and froth and work. So the ice is actually really quite an important addition to the mouthfeel, to the flavour that comes through. Yeah, and also it means that we use quite big ice cubes because I think, again, it doesn't smash up so quickly so it doesn't dilute it as quickly but yeah so yeah i was going to say i mean what a lot of people forget and i only have learned this recently is just how important the dilution is mm. in the shaking uh hence why if you're making batch cocktails you need to add water to them yeah so the ice is actually a key component because depending on how quickly it will melt that's going to radically transform the nature of the drink, potentially. Yeah, well, I've done my best. I have brought this on the tube today, so <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so if you make sure that the lid is on properly, because I'm guessing these microphones are not cheap. <laughs> Nothing else goes in that, that's it? That's it, check it out, yeah. Right, so are we on a... Sorry, we're on a time limit here, then. <laughs> Until it feels really frosty cold on the outside. Yeah, but you want to get some aeration in there, so, yeah. It's the best day ever. Well, my hand's quite cold now. So, Great, uh, yeah. Right. So there's a strainer there which you can have to Tom's share. Tom's lost and all feeling in his hands, I imagine, as a chef, so he doesn't know whether it's hot, cold, yeah. anything. <laughs> Just burns, calluses. Uh, if you want to put yeah. some ice in the glasses as well. So, so which way round does this go? So you will be all right, actually, without that. So if you take the small lid off, it's got an inbuilt strainer. Ah, right, OK. Hold on. So you should be OK. Yeah. So you want some ice in the glass as well, did you? Yeah. And then just make sure you're holding the main part of the lid so it doesn't come out. Yeah. Yeah. And then just pour it in your glass. 
Oh, that looks great. <laughs> you did have to make these recipes idiot-proof, I presume. So, you know. <laughs> so, uh, this Has is... garnished it? Don't set this question the wrong way. Are we supposed to have that head? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's right. perfect. I, fig- I figured that was the case, you there know. There you go. That's, that's the egg white. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just garnishing it with a cocktail cherry and a slice of lemon. Look at that. Here we are. And this is Excellent called... A, what's this called? So that's um, a whiskey sour mocktail, and that's on, on the website. There's a lot going on there. It's good, because if you don't like it, you've made it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this compilation episode of the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. If you'd like to hear more from any of the episodes we've featured, check the description to find all of the episode information. Join us next week where we'll revisit more special moments and top tips from Tom. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Bye for now. Yeah.